0: Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll read from verse 8 to 11 this morning as we continue our series on Satan. chapter 4 verse 8 again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things will i give thee if thou will fall down and worship me then saith jesus unto him get thee hand satan for it is written Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this time, for your word, and for this opportunity we have to uh, to meet in this way. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open to your truth this morning. Lord, that your spirit would teach us uh, your ways. That you will give us great understanding and by your grace, Lord, may we grow through it. Lord, we just uh, pray this morning that I oh, would be used for your purposes. And I pray that uh, in all things we give you the glory. Help us, Father, to understand your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is the second sermon in a series uh, on the devil. And last week I spoke to you about why I've chosen to do a series on Satan. Maybe, it, I don't think it's me that actually chose it, to be honest with you. Um, I find myself going through times where there's a particular burden that's been placed on my heart. And I know that God leads me to do certain things at a certain time. And generally he's always leading me into uh, preaching certain topics. Um, I normally preach what's called expository preaching. Okay. Now, there's a difference. There's two types of preaching that, that people normally do. One is called expository, which means you take a particular chapter or a book and you slowly work your way through it. Which is what I'm, my normal custom is. In between those times, though, I, I tend to pick topics, small topics, until I, until God gives me the next expository thing to preach on. This particular one has given me a particular topic. This is topical preaching. So what I'm finding is I'm not preaching through a book. But I'm preaching on a particular topic, which in this particular case is the devil. And I'm going all over the Bible and and bringing a lot of that information together so we understand how it fits together. Now, the reasons I'm preaching about this, I want to make it very clear again, is that the Word of God has a lot to say about him. It has a lot. Um, And what I want us to understand is, if we understand him, his origin, his nature, his motives and his goals, If we understand that, with these things understood, um, we will better understand his plans, his devices and his schemes. And we're able to best defend against them because we know why he's coming in this particular direction and we know how he comes. Um, And we're also able to better pray for people who are being oppressed by him as well. So we're able to see the way he works. Now, the first thing we discovered about Satan, because I want to give you a bit of a recap. The first thing we discovered about Satan last week was that he was an angel. And that he is an angel. And he still is an angel. Um, and that the Lord God made the angels before man was created. And that there were different classifications of angels. There were regular angels. And, and that they were essentially messengers. Okay? And we gave an example of Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, who would give uh, messages to people in the Bible. Um, there were the archangels, and Michael is one of those. There are the seraphim, who God uses to, for His worship. Then there, <coughs> sorry, then there are cherubim, <coughs> who are the protectors. They are the defenders, and they uphold the glory of God. Satan was a cherubim, okay, specifically a cherubim type of angel. Then, once we, we've understood what type of being he actually is, we went and looked at some of the names that he's called in the Bible, because names in the Bible generally mean something. They'll point to a particular um, understanding of that individual, um, and so we went through those names and what they mean. We first looked at, um, no, sorry, we then, we then looked at. Actually, I'll go through some of those, some of those names with you. He's first called Satan, okay, which means the the adversary, the ones who come, who resists and the accuser. He's the adversary of God's people. And yet he's God's adversary as well. And he continues to accuse God's people of sin before God. Uh, he's called Beelzebub, which means the Lord of the Flies. And it, that name was originally a pagan Philistine god. And it basically meant the Prince of Filth. Okay, um, Belial was another name that's used of him. And it meant it generally indicated one who was so proud of himself... And so, and so lifted up within himself that he could not have another one over him, which is exactly what, what describes Satan. It also means someone who is lawless in and of themselves. We, we mentioned the name, well, he's called the dragon, the serpent, or Leviathan. And all of these names um, uh, speak of Satan's subtlety in his devious ways. They're all reptilian in nature and speak of the threat that he poses to mankind. The Bible then also calls him a ruler, a prince, and a god, a god, not the god. So Satan is described in terms of rule and great power. Um, and interestingly enough, that really those those names only really come up in the New Testament. Um, so they were the uh, they were the main names. But on top of that, he's called the evil one, the father of lies. He's called a murderer. He's called a roaring lion. He's called the tempter. And He's called a thief. We looked at some of the things that the devil is not. I tried to dispel some myths straight off the bat because there are some misconceptions about him. And we, we just just to recap those, the devil is not an excuse for us to sin as believers. We have no excuse. He may tempt, but believers have no reason or excuse to use him as as that excuse. The devil is not a guy in red pajamas, okay, who uses a pitchfork and has a has a pointy tail. He is an angelic being. He hasn't turned ugly after he after he fell, okay? So, he's still the same angel that he was before. The difference is he has fallen. Satan is not someone to be caricatured to be made a joke of. He is absolutely no joke. He has caused great misery and deception in this world. And the reason we see the, the great misery around us, the murders, the uh, and everything else that goes on out there, is primarily because he is at work, okay? Satan is not the king of hell. He is not the keeper of hell. Satan has never cast anyone into hell. Satan never drags anyone into hell because that is not his job. In fact, one day he will be cast himself into hell. Hell is a, is a prison and Satan has never been in prison. Not in that particular prison. Some of his angels have been in prison there and they're not getting out until God um, actually gives the command. But Satan is not the king of hell he is not there at the moment. He cannot go into hell and come out of it. Okay. Once you're in hell, once you're in that prison, you don't get out. All right. Satan does not send or cast, as I've mentioned, people into hell. It's God who does that. It's God's um, uh, authority that sends people to hell. And Satan and his demons should not be the focus of our lives. I don't want you during this during this season this uh, series. Or after, to be so fixated on Satan that he becomes the focus and you begin to see demons and, uh, and, uh, and his work everywhere. I want you to be aware of what he does and how he works. But this is not a call for us to start um, delving into um, demonology and those, those types of things. But there are two things I didn't tell you last week. One is that the devil cannot tell the future. Only God knows the future. God is the only, the only person who actually knows the, big, the, the end from the beginning. Okay, So God is the only one who can actually tell the future. The devil can't tell the future. He can guess at it. He can predict, like we try to predict, based on circumstances and those sorts of things. But he cannot tell the future. Only God can accurately tell the future because he knows it all. And the other thing that the devil cannot do, he cannot read our minds. As much as you might think he can, he can't read your mind, he can't read mine. Only God knows what's going on up here. The devil might know roughly what we're thinking because of the way we act or what we speak, and he'll try and put two and two together, but he cannot read our minds directly. Okay? Alright. After we learnt those things, and we went through the different names of Satan, we found out that he had another name. And this name was not a derogatory name. It wasn't a name that meant slanderer or accuser or adversary or the lord of the flies or the evil one. This name was the only name that he was that we find in the Bible that actually has a good connotation to it. And it was the name Lucifer, okay? And the name Lucifer means the light-bearer or the shining one. And he is also referred to as the son of the morning. Now, this is probably the name that he was, uh, that he was given as an angel. Okay? Now, all these other names are descriptive in terms of Satan and the devil and all these other types of names are, are pointing to him and explaining what he is after the fall. Lucifer is probably the only name that we know before he actually fell. So it may be his original name. Okay, But what we do know from the Bible is that he is described as an utterly beautiful, powerful Musical being full of wisdom. Okay? He was anointed as a cherub whose job it was to protect, to defend, and as that, that word to cover means to fence in, to, to to cover over in a protective manner. Now, this may have been applicable to the throne of God. So we often, we often, and I've read in many, many passages that, uh, in many commentaries, that his job was to protect the throne of God. May have, may have some, uh, some meaning. What he was protecting from is, a, is, a, is another story, though. Um, but the Bible also tells us that he walked in the Garden of Eden. The question we've got to ask ourselves is, and the question I've been asking myself is, what was he doing in the Garden of Eden? And what was God allowing him doing in the Garden of Eden? Um, it says that he walked there, as he walked in heaven, but it may explain the actual job that he had, and the actual job that he may have had was as a protecting cherub, a defending cherub, to actually guard the Garden of Eden. If he was, if he was a protector, then that might have been the thing he was actually protecting. Okay, so. Most people haven't seen Satan in that way. That maybe his original job was to be a protector and a defender, and instead, what he did was actually he abused his his privilege. He abused his position, um, and that's what makes his force so devastating. He had such responsibility, such power, and such um, such a position that when people break that trust, when anyone breaks that trust with that much that much that much of power, it makes it all the more difficult. The worst kind of offender is the one who's been given the task to protect, but instead attacks the very ones that he's been called to safeguard. We think of priests and adults who end up abusing children in their care in that light. We think of police officers who abuse their positions and become criminals themselves as the worst, worse than criminals, in a sense. When Jesus walked the earth, he was the most critical of those people who had responsibilities as religious leaders to protect the flock, to feed the flock, and instead were feeding themselves, you see. God hates it when people in authority abuse their authority and actually do the opposite of what they've been called to do. And this is what Satan did with Adam and Eve. He preyed on two defenceless, childlike individuals and... Who needed his protection? Instead, he made them his victims. The Bible says that they were innocent. They didn't even know right and wrong. They did not know good and evil. They actually they went to a they went to a tree to discover that. And he tricked Eve. The Bible says he deceived her into believing something else. And Adam um, willingly went in for that, knowing that he was purposely disobeying God. But what brought him to that place? What brought him to a place where two individuals whom God had created innocent, like children, what brought him to a position where where he actually abused that position and made them his victims? Which path did he travel to get to that particular point, where he sought to make God's only two humans on the planet turn against their own creator and lose their Innocence. I've been asking that question for a little while now. And I believe that the the Bible has the answers. And the answers to that question are linked to the fact that Satan has dominion over the earth and controls a vast spiritual kingdom which operates all over the earth now. And has operated for thousands of years. It's linked to that. Why he actually... um, lured Adam and Eve and tempted them and actually got them to fall is linked to that very thing, I believe. Turn with me to back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. The original passage that we read this morning. Now listen carefully. So Jesus is in the desert here. He's had a time of fasting, and at his weakest point, the devil comes to him and tries to tempt him with a number of things. But we're looking at this particular temptation here. And it says in verse 8 again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. Now mind you, he took Jesus up to a high mountain. Okay, so He had that ability to be able to grab him and actually take him somewhere else. It says he taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of of them, Now, I don't know about you, but you take me up to the top of a mountain, what do you see? You don't see all the kingdoms of the world. I don't know how Satan was able to show Jesus the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. But it says that he did, and I'll take it as that. And it says that, and he saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. The, qu- the question about whether the devil actually had the authority and the possessions to be able to give Jesus those things is really not in dispute here. He had them. Jesus doesn't say, You don't own those things, does he? Jesus doesn't say, oh, you're lying. It's not true. Jesus says, I'm not going to worship you. You're meant to worship God alone. Jesus' response to the devil was very telling, though. Satan desired to be worshipped by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wanted to be served instead of God. This is what he desired of the Lord. This is what he desires of man. The Lord resisted, but man didn't. Man fell. Man served him rather than God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. I want to emphasize a particular point, that Satan still has a kingdom in this world. Look at what Jesus said in verse 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. That's ruin. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Verse 26. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Indeed, how shall his, his kingdom stand if he fights against himself and casts himself out? The fact is that he had a kingdom. Does he still have a kingdom? Yeah. He still has a kingdom. Even after the church was established, we find that Jesus taught that Satan was still active and had his own seat. The Bible says that he had his throne in a particular place and that place... We find in Revelation turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. It says that he had a particular place in a particular city. Revelation chapter 2 verse 12. It says Revelation 2:12, and to the angel of the city uh, sorry, of the church of Pergamos, write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. When Jesus gave this particular um, uh, uh message to the church at Pergamos, Satan had his seat there. Seat is not the seat you're sitting on. The term seat is a, is a term for power. It's actually the word Greek thronos, the, the, the exact name we get the, the name throne from, okay? So that seat is a seat of authority. Satan had his power, his actual um, headquarters in that city. And Jesus says to, the, to the, the believers in Pergamos, I know where you are. I know the, the, the struggle you're having over there because you're right in the middle of it. The scriptures teach us over and over and over again, the devil has dominion in this world. He actually has a, a kingdom that he rules. And, he, and the question is, who are his, who are his uh, subjects? in this thing how did it all start turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 remember how I said to you that this dominion that Satan has, this kingdom that Satan has is linked to Adam and Eve and how he made them fall well, that's what I'm going to try to explain to you now I'm explaining explain to you how they're linked Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which had weakened the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This is what Satan was saying within himself, within his own heart. He wanted to sit on God's throne. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be served. He saw the way God was being Worshipped and adored and served by angels because the Bible tells us that all angels, every one of them, are ministering spirits. You know what a minister is? <sighs> do you know what do you know when they when they, they speak of a person as a minister? The term minister simply means a servant. That's what a minister simply is. So even the, the, the ministers that you have in government, that term simply means servant of the people. Okay? So if you have a minister sitting behind a pulpit, he is a servant. Any type of the word minister means to serve. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 17 says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. So Satan looked at himself. He saw this incredible beauty. He saw power. He saw that he had wisdom. He saw that he had amazing abilities. But then he became proud. It says his heart was lifted up because of his own beauty. And through pride he coveted that, he desired that which wasn't his. It wasn't his to actually have or even desire. He coveted God's power, his position and his glory. And pride led him to, do, to imagine wicked things in his mind that he would do. And this was his sin. He was so taken by his own splendor that he chose to rob God of his glory and position and sought to supplant him. He wanted him out, and he wanted to be sitting over there, worshipped by all the angels in heaven. And what did he do? What was the first step, do you think, that he try and do to get to that position? Well, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13, turn with me there. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 13, just to reinforce who he was and what he was originally doing. (laughs) Ezekiel 28 13 says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond the beryl the onyx and the jasper the sapphire the emerald and the carbuncle and gold the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created thou art the anointed cherub that covereth and i have set thee so thou wast upon the holy mountain of god thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire so picture this he is in the Garden of Eden. An angel of God. He has amazing splendor. He's whether whether this particular um, description of all these jewels was some sort of a coat that he was wearing or, or was actually embedded within himself. Okay, we don't exactly know. Either way, he was a good-looking angel. And he was walking in the Garden of Eden. Now, what was he doing in the Garden of Eden? The the abode of angels is in heaven, isn't it? Well, it says that he was anointed to cover. He was anointed to protect, to defend. And I would say that he was meant to be doing that there as well. So, originally, he was a good being. And we know that something happened after... um, man was created he didn't fall before because on the 6th day and the 7th day god said that everything he created was good so he hadn't fallen at that point okay we know that he fell his fall came after whether he was starting to have imaginations before that we don't know but we do know that he fell after that so he's in, in his, his original role a role Lucifer had access both to heaven and to the earth. On earth, he was allowed, in his his original form, to actually walk around in the particular garden that God had planted. Understand this, that Eden was a place. God planted a garden in Eden, okay? And that garden he particularly planted, okay, was for Adam and Eve to live in, all right? So he not only was able to walk the earth, he actually had access into that specific garden where those two individuals were, and God was happy for him to be there. So, between that and Satan tempting them to, to dishonour and disobey God, what was going on? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, because in order to understand what happened... We need to understand what our original parents actually had. Who they were. Who were Adam and Eve, apart from being the, our original parents? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, look at this. And God said... And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Do you get what the main message is there? Adam and Eve had dominion on this planet. They were the rulers. Everything was meant to be under them. God made Adam and Eve, in his own image, and then he said, this is your domain. You are the rulers of this planet. You subdue everything that's in it. It is yours to do with as you will. One aspect of being made in the likeness of God was the position that came with it. God wanted man to have dominion on the earth. He was to rule and rule well. He was to have reign over every living thing. And then they were given explicit command to fill the earth and subdue it. To be lords over it. Now, imagine this. You have Adam and Eve who are are in a garden. God's created them in His own image. And He says to them, You've got the rule on this planet. This is yours. I'm giving you the whole thing. And then you have an angel who's so full of pride that he can't have anyone else over him. And he looks at himself and he says, Look at me. Look how utterly glorious I am. Look how wise I am. Look how powerful I am. Don't you think he'd be comparing himself to them? He wants God's throne. And there he has his two people who are in God's image, who have been given dominion of this whole planet. And he has dominion over nothing because the angels were not given dominion or power over anything. They were all servants. They all had to serve God directly. And here we have Satan who has been in essence there. He has to protect these two. His job is to almost serve them. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits? Sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Did you get that? Every angel, every angel is a servant for the ones who shall be heirs of salvation. Do you know who those are? That's us. Just understand, understand what, what that verse actually says. It says that every angel are your servants. Whether you see them or whether you don't, they've been called to minister to us. and I believe that's the original intention of what God had for Satan or for Lucifer and the angels as well, as Adam and Eve would grow and populate the planet they would subdue and, and have dominion over it the angels were called to serve god by protecting them and there's an interesting correlation between between that and what the angels were called to do with the lord jesus christ turn to luke chapter 4 verse 9 Another temptation that that, uh, that Satan gave Jesus. And he said, And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a, on a pinnacle of the temple. So he, he brought him to the highest point of a temple. And said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time that thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, Jesus responded saying, don't tempt the Lord thy God. Which my job is not is not to tempt God and to test his power. But look what the angel's job was. The angel's job was that even if he fell, they were to stop him from falling and injuring himself. Do you know what Satan was doing? Satan was actually quoting scripture. When, he, when Satan said those words, he didn't just make it up. He actually quoted from a Psalm. And the Psalm says, Because thou hast made Psalm ninety one, verse nine. It says, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. Thou shalt bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. He's talking about a believer that the angels have have a job that those who put their trust in God have been called to minister to them and look after them. Satan was quoting that to try and tempt Jesus to take advantage of it. And here we have this mighty angel in this garden with these two innocent individuals who probably didn't know very much. And he was called to probably do the same. Difficult for a proud person. To be able to do that. So, what's a proud, covetous angel to do? What do you do in that situation? Well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, tells us what he did. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the, the every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Now, Do you remember what the what what the Lord Jesus responded to Satan when he offered him the kingdoms of the world and said I'll give you all these wonderful all this wonderful glory Jesus says for it is written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve Satan managed to convince Adam and Eve to worship someone other than God themselves primarily he convinced them that God was withholding something from them and if they simply believed what he told them, when they took that thing, they would become like God. And guess who wants to be like God? He did. And he managed to convince them with the same lie. So they took all the fruit. They obeyed his instructions. They obeyed his command. They believed him instead of God. And they fell. Satan got exactly what he was after. The ones who had dominion over this planet, the ones who had the entire earth as their domain, had now handed it across to him. He became their God. They served him, they obeyed him, and in essence, they worshipped him without even realising it. And they handed over the birthright they had to this earth. And from that point, Satan became the God of this world. And ever since then, man has bowed down to his commands without even realising it. Every man, or woman, and 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 child essentially, all eventually give in to his dominion. That's why each of us are sinners. Everyone has bowed down to him at one stage in their life. They've sinned, they've obeyed him rather than God. That's why we need a saviour. That's why we need to be saved. Because the darkness around us is so strong. And he has dominion. And we can't see it. Satan got exactly what he was after. Mankind sold their birthright to the devil. And he became the title bearer of this place. That's why I've mentioned to you in the past. There are only two citizenships you could have. You, You are either... A citizen of this world, in which case you will be judged and and thrown into hell. Or you are a citizen of heaven. And the Bible clearly says that when a person is born again, they relinquish their citizenship of the earth and they become automatic citizens of heaven. So what are we still doing here? The Bible says that we are heaven's ambassadors. An ambassador is in a foreign country representing another kingdom. And that's who we are. We no longer belong to this place. And even our mortal bodies have to be left here. Because they're gone as well. God didn't redeem our bodies. Did He? God has to give us brand new ones. Because when we have to go home, when it's time to go home, we have to leave everything that's about to be judged here. Because it will all be judged. That's why Christians realise that this world is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. And God has called us to represent him in the midst of this battlefield. That's why we are in a a, a constant battle. A constant one. That's why we have to take up shields of faith. breastplates of righteousness. Helmets of salvation. We have to be fully armed all the time. Because we become a danger to him. We're different now. So Satan manages to convince these two individuals to worship and to serve him and to obey him rather than God. He gets this title deed in his hand. They are no longer have dominion. they decided to worship him and serve him. He becomes their God. He becomes the ruler of this place. What a masterstroke of uh, absolute masterstroke of genius, he must have thought to himself. Look what I've achieved. I now have possession of this planet. If the masters of this world have bowed themselves down to me, what can stand in my way? First stop, Earth. Next stop, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 says but if our gospel be hid it is hid to them that are lost in whom the god of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of god should shine unto them with this amazing victory under his belt I believe and this is what this is my opinion here okay I believe that satan had all the ammunition he needed For his next and more ambitious plan. Which was to take heaven itself. Which was to go to the angels and say, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. I've managed to take the two individuals that he's created in his own image. And they worship me now. They're under my power. And the Bible says that who had the power of death after after the fall? He did. So... He has dominion of the planet. He has the, the the rules of the planet, the original ones, in God's image. They, they, they were created exactly God's image, following him. Cool, that's a massive, massive uh, military victory. I believe he used that, brought that back to the angels and said, you don't have to serve him any longer. Look, you can be free like me. I am the ruler of this planet now. And if I did this by myself, imagine if we get together. We don't have to serve him or worship him anymore. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, because we're going to find out how the angels responded. Now, Revelation chapter 12, verse 3 and 4. Revelation chapter 12 gives us a beautiful panoramic view of history, even from the beginning when Satan fell and he tried to convince the angels to rebel with him. And look what it says here. It says, Revelation 12, 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. And did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now look at that. Where did those angel, Where did those stars fall to? Where does it say they fell? They were dragged to where? The earth. How many of them? A third. He managed to convince a third of the angels to follow him in his rebellion. What would he promise them that would get them to get over to his side? I mean, surely, these beings were intelligent. They were powerful. Why would they risk their eternal destiny, their eternal lives, following someone unless he has something serious to offer them? And I think he did. Because it says that when they fell and, the, and their, their little coup in heaven failed... They got stuck here. And this has become their domain. And I believe Satan offered them dominion of their own as a selling point for why they should follow him. Hey, he had dominion of the whole planet. These, These two were going to populate the planet Hey, you want dominion? I need I need uh, followers who can take care of the different areas for me. Hey, I'll make you uh, ruler of a continent. I'll make you ruler of a city. I'll make you ruler of. Have you heard that before? Had plenty to offer him. But is there is there any evidence in the Bible that that's actually true? Now there's plenty of evidence in the Bible that that's true. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verse seventeen. What Satan offered Adam and Eve, in other words, they would be God's. He offered the same thing to the angels in heaven. That they could have freedom from God's unjust laws. That they didn't have to serve him any longer. They could just be free to do what they willed. And they could be rulers in and of themselves. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17 says, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17. It says... Oh, did I? Sorry. Sorry. Deuteronomy 32. 30 chapters ahead. And this is the Old Testament, okay? It says, They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. So we know from the beginning that when when men were sacrificing to their idols, okay, and almost all of the Old Testament gods had some sort of a figure that they would actually um, sacrifice to. It says they were sacrificing to devils. There was a devil behind that thing, and in fact, it says the same thing in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19, What say I then, that an idol is anything? Or that that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice to their idols, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Paul was very well aware that the devils who had created local gods in, in different areas. Do you know why there are so many different gods around this world? It's because each one of those is associated with a different devil. With a different demon that fell. Who was given authority by, God, by Satan to actually be ruled and, and to rule and to actually be worshipped in that area under that particular name. And it says that this will happen all the way to the end. So from the Old Testament, we find people offering sacrifices to idols which were in fact devils. We find this in the New Testament, that they're still offering sacrifices to idols which are actually devils. And then we find this right at the end, in Revelation, still, right at the end, before, the, before, the, um, before God comes and actually wipes everything off, it says they, they did not stop to worship their devils or their idols. They could not stop. Even to the end of the world, these devils which fell with Satan are ruling over here and man does not stop worshipping them. The only ones who refuse to worship are us. Because if you worship any other God other than the God of the Bible, through Jesus Christ, you are worshipping a devil. Every false god, whom men have worshipped through the ages, are manifestations of devils that have been given power and authority by the prince of these devils. They have been the inspiration behind the gods of Egypt and Greece and Rome, the gods of Persia and Africa, the Aztec and Mayan gods, whether they be called Allah, Brahma, Vishnu, Mazda, Zeus, Apollos, all of those are all devils. All of them, every one of them are devils that have sought to be worshipped and are in league with Satan in his kingdom. Whether they're Thor or Odin, they are all devils that have sought the worship of men and men worship by nature. They want to worship themselves, but in the end they end up falling down in front of these devils. And this is what Jesus came to save us from. Yes, the devil still has principalities and powers in this world. The Bible says he is still the ruler of darkness, which pervades this planet. Yes, there are billions who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ who are going to hell. Billions. See, Lincoln and I did, a, did a, an interesting exercise um, one night as we were driving home. We are trying to number how many Christians there would be in the world, genuine ones. What number did we come up with? Do you remember? What what could be the maximum possible number that we came up with? Was it? Well, we, we got 1.5%. Let's say 1.5%. Was the absolute maximum number of genuine Christians in this world. Do you know how many people there are in this world? About 7 billion. That leaves 6 billion. What is it? 300 million and the rest. Six billion They're all going to hell. And do you know why they're all going to hell? Because the God of this world has blinded their, their eyes so they cannot see the truth. He has a firm grasp. He has a firm grip on the people of this world. And the only ones who stand in His way are us. Us. The Bible says that we are the lights of this world because the Lord of glory dwells within us. We are his hands and feet. So when we celebrate the Lord's table and it says that you you do not discern the Lord's body, understand something, you are the Lord's body. We are his bride. We make the difference. If we do not live as ambassadors of heaven in in this world now, when we have this little chance, this small time, if we don't live it now, then how shameful is it for us? When there are so many who are destined to hell who cannot see what's going on. The darkness pervades. And we have an immense battle on our hands. And the devil will do everything in his power to keep you and me quiet. I shared with the men uh, yesterday morning in the men's breakfast that he does this a number of ways. He tries to keep us ignorant. If anything he wants... He doesn't want you reading your Bible. He doesn't want you knowing your Bible. Because when you know your Bible and you know how to use it, not just keep it in here, but you know how to use it like like Jesus did, you can defend. You can defend yourself. You won't fall flat on your face after every two steps. He tries to keep us fearful. He wants you to be afraid. He wants you to worry about, oh, if I share my faith or if they see me as a Christian, therefore they'll make fun of me. And, you know, so what? So what if they throw us into prison? So what if they change the laws and they throw us in in prison because of what we believe? Praise God for that. That we've been counted worthy to suffer because of our Saviour who suffered much more than us. Don't be afraid. You represent heaven here. You represent heaven in this world. There is a lot of darkness. But you know something? When we live out our lives for Him, it casts a light that the devil can't stand. It reveals things that He doesn't want people to see. This is why we must live our lives. We must live Christian lives so that people do see the difference. If your life is no different to anyone else's in this world, who are you actually representing? Do you represent Him? Or do you represent yourself? One of, the, one of the most shameful things is when a Christian who's been called to be the light of this world sleeps in the shade. He's too lazy to get off their backside and actually work for the, for the kingdom of God. While people are falling down left, right and centre around them, they are too lazy to learn, they're too lazy to commit, and they don't really care what's going on. You know, in the end, I would hate to stand before the throne of my Lord and actually say, I've got nothing to show you. Sorry, but you had 50 years. What did you do with it? Oh, look, I was busy building up my wealth. I was busy busy uh, with my job. I was too busy with, you know, sports. I was too busy with... And you didn't have a chance to do anything? No, no, I was just too, too busy. Oh, what a... Do you understand something? Whatever answer you give at that throne, you will live with for eternity. You will have to live with it forever. And whatever you have in eternity, you're building now. That's why Jesus says, build up your riches in heaven. You know, if you spend all your time building your riches up on earth and they're burnt and there's nothing left, you will have nothing left in eternity So what's more important for us to do? To build our our treasure in heaven. Build it because you don't have much time. We do not have much time. Whether it's for yourself or for the the people that are lost. Remember, everything we do is for the Lord. Everything we do is for Him. Because I've realized that it's Him alone that needs to be worshipped and Him alone that needs to be served. We don't serve ourselves anymore, we serve Him. But there is something that the Bible tells us and teaches us, and it says that believers have overcome the world. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God this morning? Not if you do, please. Then if you do, the Bible says you've overcome the world. No need to fear. No need to run and hide. No need to live in the shadows. The Bible says live your your faith. You are an ambassador and a light in this world. You've got a mission. You've got a job to do. Let's do it. Let's give him the glory. Because this other guy has gotten way too, away with way too much. He's got the church divided. He's got the church. This is one of his jobs, and I'll be I'll be talking about what he does in the coming weeks. How he seeks to infiltrate, to denigrate, how he seeks to divide. He's he's done a he's done a pretty good job. Our adversary is is more than six thousand years old. He already started with a great amount of wisdom. He's got more of it now. But. The Bible says, in the end, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He knows his time is short. Let's make this short time that we have count. Okay? God bless you. Let's, uh, let's close in a, in a hymn and a final word of prayer.